Hi there, and welcome to the Blazing a Trail podcast, a podcast dedicated exclusively to the Salesforce industry. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Zach Harvey, and over the last 10 years, I've been placing Salesforce professionals. Over the coming months, I'm going to be speaking to a number of individuals with inspirational stories within the Salesforce ecosystem and their journeys. I'm really excited to launch this podcast series, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Cool. Well, welcome to the first podcast of the Blazing a Trail series. Um, this is going to be a Salesforce dedicated podcast where I'm speaking to inspirational individuals within the Salesforce ecosystem um, and talking to them about their journeys and how they've got to where they are now. Um, I'm told this, this podcast series is going to be available on Apple Play, Spotify, and Anchor, and I think on YouTube um, as well. Um, and I'm delighted in this first episode um, to introduce Catherine Castle, who I met five or six years ago when she was thinking about sort of moving back to the UK from the Netherlands. Um, she decided to get as far away from me as possible, went to, mm-hmm. went to Mexico instead, um, and has started up her own Um, Salesforce consulting business and Catherine's here to talk to us today about how she went through that that journey so thanks for joining us um, today Catherine and do you you want to give a a little bit of a better intro than than I possibly can as to as to you how could I possibly give a better intro than that (laughs) Um, but no thank you Zach for the introduction I'm honored to be the very first guest Um, I do think you've given a great introduction already Um, but yeah, my, my name is Catherine. I'm originally from the UK, although I've heard that my accent is starting to get butchered by too much time abroad. Um, I've been living in various different countries for more than 10 years now. I think Zach and I started talking when I was in the Netherlands, but I've since moved to Mexico. I run a fully remote Salesforce and revenue operations consulting practice out of my home here. And we have employees across the United States and various countries in Europe. So excited to dig into the topic more and have an interesting discussion. Amazing, amazing. Thanks for that. Um, so before we get into sort of the nuts and bolts of, of Candy Box and how that's sort of come about over the last sort of two, two or three years or so, and how you've built that Salesforce consultancy, like you said, remotely from, from Mexico, but with people all across the, the States and, and Europe, let's go back to, to the very beginning. How, how did you sort of first come across Salesforce? If my memory serves me correctly, because it was a while ago, Um, I was working at a technology company and I was actually in the support organization working mainly on Zendesk, which is a customer support platform primarily, although I think they're sort of moving into CRM too. Um, I got really interested in building out all of the operations. And at a certain point, we were looking at doing an integration between Zendesk and Salesforce. Um, So that was probably the first time that I actually gained an understanding of what Salesforce was and what various teams at the organization were using it for. Um, And from there, I realized that I really wanted to explore this topic of business operations more. And I sort of, um, uh, I lobbied for a position uh, within that team at the company. And because they didn't have anybody based out of EMEA at the time, I managed to get my foot in the door. And from that point onwards, I learned Salesforce from scratch 
mostly on the job, just taking on requests from various people and figuring out how everything worked um, as I went. Probably about a year after I had been working in Salesforce, I decided to get my admin cert and I, uh, I picked up a, an actual physical Salesforce book, which I remember being like this thick, like two inches thick. And I remember thinking at the time, oh man, I wish I'd done this when I first started learning Salesforce, because there were so many of the very basic things I'd completely neglected or not understood how they worked. Um, but yeah, that's how I got into Salesforce, accidental admin, I guess. Nice, nice. And I think that's that's true for a lot of people, um, right? And I think that this is, that's, you, you've loved, you've set this up an absolute treat for, to, to sort of intro the purpose Welcome. of the podcast. So, so, so thanks for that. I promise I haven't paid Catherine to, mm -hmm. to say, say that and tee it up like that. Um, but, but like, like I was sort of getting out there, so there's so many people who have started their journeys as, as accidental admins and, and this can really sort of show, showcase what sort of is potentially possible within the, the ecosystem. And obviously there's loads of different routes that you can, you can potentially sort of go down, but obviously off the back of what, what you sort of, or how you first fell into the ecosystem and, and now sort of running your own Salesforce consultancy, it really sort of showcases what you can potentially do in the ecosystem, which is, which is great. And I, I think if I'm, if I'm correct and excuse me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like sort of that first role sort of within sales operations, revenue operations sort of set you up for, for sort of what, what Candy Box is all about now and, and sort of your focus, particularly within that, that sort of industry environment. Yeah, it was definitely not planned, um, <laughs> but ultimately it worked out in my favor. Um, so to, to take a step back, um, what my company Candybox does is um, Salesforce and revenue operations, both technically and uh, strategy focused for um, primarily high tech companies. The company that I was working at previously was a SaaS company and the business operations team that I was in, it was at the, the heart of all of the, what we called go-to-market teams. So that meant that we worked with marketing, we worked with sales, we worked with partnerships, we worked with customer success, with customer support, and probably others as well that are not coming into my mind at the moment. Um, and that turned out to be a, a real boon when I started Candybox, because what I would hear in the market again and again from my very early customers when it was just me um, operating more or less as an independent consultant was, hey, we've tried other consultants and they were technically competent, but we they just didn't understand how a SaaS company or a high-tech company functions. They don't understand all of our acronyms. They don't understand the business teams and how they work together. They don't understand the use cases. Um, and a lot of those companies, they tend to either be bootstrapped or they've got uh, VC backing. And in both of those scenarios, you need to be moving fast and operating in quite a lean uh, way. And you need to be able to work with a consultant that picks things up quickly, already has an understanding of how your business operates because you can't really afford to spend a lot of time explaining what to you are the basics to your consulting partner. Yeah, 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 no, it makes sense. And I guess from obviously we've we've jumped around a little bit here, but but that's that's all good. When when was it for you when you sort of first thought from that sort of first year and sort of sort of starting in that world and lobbying to be sort of a Salesforce specialist to to then sort of getting to the point of right there, there's sort of a real opportunity here for me to carve out a niche within this area and and set up my own business. 
keeping in theme with the whole accidental admin uh, storyline, I generally tell people that I started my company by accident, and I'm only exaggerating a little bit. Uh, the long story short is I uh, decided some years ago, around about four years ago now, to make a big move, and um, I moved from the Netherlands to Mexico, which is where I still live now. I was still an employee at that point, but I couldn't continue being an employee because of labor laws. Makes sense. So I switched and became an independent contractor, still originally working at that same company. Um, but more or less as soon as I made that switch, uh, people within my network started reaching out to me and I don't know how they heard, but they would say, oh, Catherine, I heard that you're doing independent contracting work now. Do you have time to do this project or that project? And it all happened so quickly that within the first, I want to say three to six months, I had too much work um, to comfortably complete myself. So I started working with um, originally other independent contractors. And then within the first year, I hired our first full-time employees. So it was really identifying or lucking into a gap in the market. Like I mentioned a few minutes ago, at the time, it really felt like there weren't many consultancies that had that high tech, high growth, fast moving uh, focus. And that's what seemed to really drive the early growth of Candybox is, is filling that particular gap in the market and doing a really good job at it, even though I do say so myself. <laughs> and how, how did you sort of build up that, that network to sort of once when you moved to, to Mexico to immediately be inundated with, with a number of sort of clients trying to tap into your, your knowledge? I would say I came to Mexico with that network preformed, even though I didn't necessarily realize it at the time. I don't consider myself to be a natural networker. I consider myself to be more of a, an introvert. Um, but I was surprised when I actually started actively, uh, you know, thinking about the people I knew to realize how broad my network was within the target market again, which is tech. Um, and most of that was because of my prior experience working at a tech company. I'd worked with so many smart people at that point. They'd stayed for several years they'd moved on to other places and by that time you know they were they were spread all across the tech landscape uh, a lot of them were in startups where they really needed a helping hand getting sales source off the ground or building something technical that they didn't have the chops for themselves um, and once I had a couple of projects under my belt those people started recommending me to their networks and and there was kind of a a domino effect in that sense yeah yeah, yeah, nice, nice. And obviously, as, as sort of people talk about, I mean, it's ever expanding, but sort of the Salesforce e ecosystem is so tight and, and sort of incestuous, as people was, will say. So there's yep. that sort of snowballing sort of effect that, that everyone knows everyone. So like you said, you exactly. sort of do a, do, a, do a good job on a couple of pieces of work, then then that can just sort of spiral to, mm -hmm. to sort of the point that you're at now, which is, um, which, yeah. is which is great. Yeah, um, absolutely. What, what what sort of I guess sort of that'll be sort of a uh, a question for a lot of people when sort of a lot of people are independent contractors and potentially sort of thinking about setting up their their own business and obviously you got to a point where sort of there was 
I guess too much work for yourself that then sort of triggered that sort of first yeah. first hire. What what nice sort of like... to have, huh? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Sort of what, what was it purely the volume of work that that sort of got you to that point of of sort of thinking right? I, I need some 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 help here. And then sort of what I, I guess what was, I guess what what was sort of the trigger point, and I guess sort of how how did again you go about that in terms of sort of onboarding that that first hire. So do you mean the trigger point of making that transition from being purely an independent contractor to running a business yeah yeah yeah, absolutely yeah so good question i think i think i'd say it was two things so first of all yes it did have to do with practical considerations uh, such as wow i have far too much work to comfortably do myself and i absolutely do not want the quality level to drop i need help um, that's something that everybody should ideally be able to admit to themselves. Um, <laughs> and if you want my advice, try and be aware of that ahead of time so that you don't end up in a situation where you're already overwhelmed and then you have to spend extra time looking for somebody good because that can take quite a while. Um, but th- there was another aspect for me, which was I realized that I was interested in building a company so I could do something slightly different than what I consider to be typical. Um, I personally haven't always been extremely happy or fulfilled in a traditional work environment where you go into the office and you do your nine to five and you get your performance reviews and uh, you have a, you know, maximum capped percentage raise that you can get every year and you can't move into a different role unless you've been in your current role for x amount of time i personally found that quite restrictive so something that appealed to me about starting my own company was being able to do things differently and decide which rules if any i wanted to follow so i i created candy box thinking of the type of environment that i wish i'd seen more in the working world And for me, that was interesting work as far as possible, Um, treating people as individuals. So working working with your employees to understand what motivates them, the type of work they like, how they like to work, how they do their best work, rather than forcing everybody into the same kind of uh, parameters or the same box. Um, It was more flexibility in terms of roles, in terms of working hours, um, obviously the, the very basic things that I'm just skipping over, like providing good compensation and benefits. Um, and yeah, and another aspect that I'm overlooking is the remote working environment. It's, I think it, things have changed so much in the last couple of years that now it doesn't seem like such a big thing because there's so many remote or, or flex jobs out there, particularly in the Salesforce space and in the tech space. But Back then, four years ago, it wasn't very common. Um, It was very rare to find companies that did flex or did fully remote. Um, So it it definitely felt felt more groundbreaking at the time. Um, And it's funny to think back now and and look at how much has changed in just the very short space of time. 
Yeah, I was I was thinking as you were sort of rattling through those those um, I guess values behind the business, and I was like, you're very you're very much ahead of the the COVID curve from from that yes. perspective. Only slightly, but still ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll apologise in advance because this question wasn't on our pre-prepared list, but I'm going to ask it ask it anyway and throw it at okay. you. Sort of how, how now, sort of with those sort of values in in mind, and obviously originally you had that with sort of obviously just thinking about yourself and and the environment you wanted to work in how sort of challenging has it been sort of scaling those values if you like to to now sort of a 15 strong business and and how sort of I guess how many it could well be in a year three years five years time yeah again really good question um I do think that what I'm looking to do with candy box is not going to appeal to everybody and that's absolutely fine um you know, there's other types of companies out there that do provide maybe a more traditional or structured working environment. What I found is that there are lots of people who are looking for the type of work environment that I offer. And if I find those people, then um, everything flows very well. Um, so it's, it's about matching up the right personality type with the working environment, I guess, to put it in a nutshell. Um, we have hired people who ultimately didn't enjoy either the consulting atmosphere or this quite loosely structured atmosphere, and they moved on to other roles. Um, but in my experience, there are lots of people who are looking for this, and when you find the right personality, they do their best work this way. Um, they worked excellently with other people on the team. Um, they work really well with customers. And it's something that I find kind of hard to quantify, but I guess I have this belief that if you do find that great match of the right personality with the right working style, the right types of projects, it is going to translate into quality, the quality of the work, quality of relationships throughout the Candy Box team, quality of relationships with our customers. Again, I, it's one of those things that I would love to find a really snappy data point <laughs> on so I could just pull that out. Sadly, I don't have one yet. Maybe I will in the end, but I really believe this to be true. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and that, again, sort of allows you, whilst there's there's obviously individuals that, that you want sort of sharing your your common values, it's, it's allowed you to sort of build a really diverse workforce, like we've mentioned across across Europe and, and the States, um, which is which is quite unique, I think, for a smaller business sort of going from um, or, or starting from conception as you did to, to sort of where you are now two or three years down the line, but but establishing that that workforce across both Europe and, and the States so quickly, which I've not really seen amongst amongst sort of other businesses. Was that was that sort of something that you had in mind from, from the outset? Again, I would say this is something that was more or less organic. Um, one of the pros and cons of the way I started the company was that um, the growth of the company was driven by early demand. So I mostly responded to what that demand looked like as opposed to sitting back and thinking about how exactly I wanted to structure the business and then going out into the market and seeing whether there was a fit. So to come back to your question, it was structured this way because we were seeing demand from both the US and Europe primarily. And there's also 
a factor in the high tech space where you'll have um, you have two things. You'll have a startup in the US that gets to a certain size and then expands to Europe and they have your know, London office or an Amsterdam office or a Berlin office, those are pretty common ones. Um, or you have a vice versa where you have a, a really promising European startup and eventually they open up US headquarters. And in talking to those companies, they responded really positively to the fact that we had a presence in both of those time zones. Um, I won't lie, there are logistical difficulties sometimes um, with the company being the size it is. You know, how do you effectively structure your teams so that you can support two different locations? Um, how do you make sure that you're responding within a reasonable time frame to any questions that come up? But on the flip side, I think there's positives. For example, um, we've been able to do um, quite complex releases out of hours for, say, the US uh, branch of the company by utilizing resources that are based in EMEA. And they were able to push out, let's say, a big service cloud migration and do the majority of the early validation and testing while the bulk of the company in the US headquarters were still early. And vice versa. So even though things can get a little bit complicated and you have to be cognizant of how you're deploying your, your resources, by the way, I hate having to use the word resources, I mean, <laughs> people, but hopefully you'll forgive me for that. Um, yeah, there are also positive aspects that having uh, people in different locations can unlock. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I mean, you've, you've already given us some, some great content and advice through the first sort of 15 20 minutes or so but what what sort of advice did you have when when you sort of first started the the, the business and what sort of resources um i'll use the word again did, did you tap into oh, no. so i'm thinking back i think the majority of people who end up starting businesses are in a similar position to me where they have experience doing the, the type of uh, work that they're going to be doing as a, as a business owner, but they haven't actually run a business before. So for me, the administrative aspects were an early challenge. I remember finding it so confusing trying to figure out when can I hire someone and how does it even work? to hire somebody? How do I pay them? You know, how does that work? It all, <laughs> I figured it out at this point, thankfully. <laughs> um, but I just remember getting very hung up on those aspects. I wasn't hung up on any of the, the sales force or revenue operations work because I've been doing that kind of thing for five or however many years already. Um, but just trying to figure out how do you structure and operate a business um, was very difficult to begin with. Um, so what I did to try and make my life a little bit easier with moderate levels of success was talk to other business owners. Um, in my experience, people generally like to help each other. Not everybody is going to have the time to speak to you or, or whatnot. Um, but if you reach out to people genuinely and you say, I'm trying to do this, could you spare 30 minutes of your time to talk to me about any advice that you have, um, they'll either say yes, or they will say, 
I know somebody that would be great. Let me put you in contact with them. So I had a lot of early conversations like that, just reaching out to people very honestly saying, I'm looking for help with this. Do you want to connect? Um, I spoke to people in a wide variety of roles doing that, a wide variety of industries. I also connected with other Salesforce professionals who'd started their own businesses. Um, and that's something I would continue to recommend, uh, even though uh, they're technically your competitors, depending on the type of projects uh, they do. I feel like the market is really strong and there isn't a lot of competitiveness, at least in my experience. So don't hesitate to reach out to other business owners in the same space. Um, and the other thing that made a big difference for me was uh, not being afraid to spend money on other services professionals to help me run the business. Two of the people that I worked with early on were a financial services firm who were helping set up things like payroll, taxes, uh, all of that logistical uh, kind of things that can be very complicated when you're trying to do lots of other day-to-day -day tasks. Um, and also a legal advisory firm that we still work with today who helped us with contracts, um, who helped us with registering the business, understanding what our legal obligations were. They helped us with hiring, all kinds of different things that I wasn't even aware I would need to do, I think, in the beginning. Um, but when I try and think about what it would have been like trying to figure all of that stuff out myself without their help, I think I would be, I would have been lost. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, and yeah, I, I hate any of that, that payroll stuff yeah. and administrative things. It's all mm -hmm. way above my, my head. So I'm all, mm -hmm. on, all on board for outsourcing that to the people that know the subject yeah. a lot better than me. I, I have come across business owners who really like all of the administrative side of things and they love getting into the nitty gritty of finances, taxes, business licenses, all of that kind of thing. But I sort of feel like they're in a minority and you're more likely to find business owners that are ideas people and strategy kind of people. Um, so having that logistical backup is, in my opinion, very, really invaluable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, th I mean, all this, all this info or stuff that you you sort of have to do around sort of the actually sort of running the day to day business in terms of the strategy delivery, but then sort of the administrative side and payroll and all that kind of kind of thing as well. It's sort of I'm almost sort of getting overwhelmed by by all everything that you that you sort of have to do. And I imagine sort of potential prospective business owners might be might be sort of thinking that as well and, and sort of a little bit a little bit scared about it. Sort of I guess what what advice would you would you give a, around around that or reassurance which would would you offer? So I can tell I'm already making a really great podcast episode. Making everyone <laughs> feel overwhelmed. Um I think there's probably two approaches broadly speaking, that you can take. You can take the approach I did, which is going in more or less ignorant and being forced to figure things out as you go. Um, this has some pros. <laughs> Namely, you don't get put off by all of the things that you have to do and therefore you can't get forked out of, um, you know, going ahead. Uh, cons, getting a bit overwhelmed when things actually do need to be done um but at the same time you you know you have to take care of them one way or another um so there's a forcing function to doing things that way 
The other way, which I'm not sure if I can comment on the pros and cons, um, but I can take a stab at it, would be doing all of your research in advance, you know, thinking ahead of time. I want to go into this space. I'm interested in starting a business, starting having those conversations with other business owners ahead of time, identifying all of the things that you'll need to do, research, understand um, as you're setting up the business and sort of take that more um, structured approach um, so that you have things more or less logistically figured out at the time you you decide to, to pull the trigger. Um, I think that way that way is going to take longer. It's definitely going to require um, some thinking ahead of time. Um, you wouldn't be able to just immediately start like I did and figure things out as you go. Probably would end up being a little bit less stressful uh, when you come to when you come to things. Um, but maybe the stress is part of the fun. Again, I think it might be a you know it depends on your your personality type of question. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Um, anything sort of in particular you you do differently if you if you had your time again? I don't know if I would do anything differently or I don't know if I could have done anything differently, I suppose, is my my answer. Because I was so many things out, there were so many things that were that were new to me. Um, I do think if I went and started a brand new consultancy now, um, I would be armed with a lot more knowledge um, and experience as a business owner and operator than I had previously. I suppose, I suppose thinking about it, I might have prioritized myself a little better than I did. Um, which might sound like a selfish answer off the bat, but if you're a, a sole owner operator like I am, in the early days at least, the business really is contingent upon you, your ability to do your work, your, your mental state, um, you know, your capabilities of looking after your team and, and, and your customers. So if you as an individual are overwhelmed or in any way struggling, then it will start to have knock-on effects to your business and to your team and your customers. And I think there have been times where um, things were going so well from a business perspective at my company that the level of work was too much for me as an individual. So if I were to go back, I would have tried to be more cognizant of that and looked for uh, additional support either from my team or hiring other management positions earlier, or maybe even saying no to some projects that I thought would um, would run us a little bit thin. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's very common advice within the industry. That, that, that is a massive challenge in terms of how do you sort of manage the quality of the, the service that you're offering versus ensuring that obviously you have enough work for, for the team and to keep the business ticking over. And it's a, it's a fine yeah. balance, right? So it's important yeah, that, it's, that, that you get that right. Yeah, it's one of the big challenges of the consulting industry, not just Salesforce, many services agencies have that issue. 
Um, and the question is, well, the balance, I suppose, is stress versus profitability and stability and you know, I took on extra work and potentially um, spread my team a little bit thin and risk the quality going down? Or do we risk not making enough money? Um, and I, I don't think there's an easy answer to this. It's something that you always have to have your eye on. You need to be looking at the data that you hopefully have regularly. You need to be talking to your team. You need to be talking to your customers and getting qualitative feedback that way and always be calibrating slightly. Um, I think for, for a lot of Salesforce professionals, a lot of us, we want there to be a perfect answer. You know, there's a perfect solution to a lot of Salesforce use cases. You know, this is the best way to build this particular flow, for example, and then everything will run smoothly. So I think in the back of my head, I always think there's going to be an answer like that to the, you know, usage versus profitability versus, you know, team and customer satisfaction question that we've just been talking about. But the solution is more you know, you can, you can, um, you know, make sure that you have the information to make a decision, but you're, you're never going to have a static solution that doesn't need to be changed or looked at. You need to always be, um, keeping your finger on the pulse and adjusting as need be. And I love the, uh, love the flow analogy in there. Got to, got to keep things all, all Salesforce. Love that. Right. <laughs> Um, so I guess finally, obviously we've 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 now got sort of candy box to, I guess sort of a, a sort of a stable state. It's sort of two or three years in into the business. Sort of what's what's next for you guys? Really good question. Um, even though I've, I've I think I've spoken about it both positively and negatively. The fact that the business grew up very organically. Um, I still don't consider myself to be the type of business owner where I have a five-year plan and I'm looking far into the future and imagining what's going to happen and planning for a certain eventuality. I'm more the type of person that's looking at what's happening in the here and now and trying to identify potential trends in the market, but shorter term. So that being said, I do have some ideas that we're interested in exploring. Um, those might involve uh, without giving too much away, additional Salesforce products, additional services related to revenue operations specifically, rather than Salesforce itself necessarily. Um, they might involve expanding our target market slightly, um, but I would say at this stage, we prefer to be relatively flexible so that if something does change in the market, we can pivot quickly. And goodness knows, as I'm sure you'd agree, <laughs> there's been enough of those surprise developments in the market these last few years for me to feel comfortable sticking with that strategy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How did how, like out, out of interest, sort of particularly sort of with COVID in mind, I guess, and and not to bring up the dreaded C word, but how how did you sort of navigate that? that time as a, as a relatively new business owner and, and how are you sort of pre prepared for, for future disasters, so to speak? So COVID was a very interesting 
time to be a fresh business owner. I think how long had I been running the company? I'm I'm honestly not sure. Zach, maybe six to nine months, maybe a little bit more, um, before everything started um, kicking off. Um, and without trying to sound insensitive, I think it actually, in some ways, opened doors that might have been closed to us previously. One of those things was a lot of companies became much more open to hiring remote consultants. Previously, you would see companies want to have consultants come into the office and work with the team, which is very valid. Um, that was not an option for the majority of companies um, during the pandemic. Um, and so you know, ourselves, we were already fully remote. Um, I think in some ways we had an edge over companies that always relied on having an in-person presence because they were used to doing things that way. Whereas we were used to working with people in all kinds of different time zones and running things over Slack and Zoom and Google Meet. Um, I think there were also a lot of people who were looking for fully remote roles at the time. So the hiring market was really favorable for me. Um, I was able to speak to a lot of really, really talented people and bring them onto the team because I was offering the type of work environment that, like I touched on earlier, was not super available um, up until that point, but was really, really desirable. Um, yeah, so even though it was a really challenging time for so many people, from a business standpoint, there were, I think, some positive changes that were ushered in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, we found it ourselves actually as well in, in the fact that we're a relatively diverse business in terms of our geographical presences. And I think that that was a massive advantage to you, the fact that you had yeah. that sort of European and American offering. And if sort of America was was hurting at the time from a business sort of perspective, maybe Europe was in sort of a slightly, slightly better state for you to tap into and, and vice versa at, at certain yeah. points. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the other thing that was quite interesting across the companies that we worked with was some of them paused hiring for in-house roles, but they still had consulting budget. So that meant that even if they didn't have as large of an in-house team as they were hoping for, they could work with a company like us and still find a way to get traction in their revenue operations practice. Got you, got you. Nice. Um, I think you've obviously you've given us some some really great tips throughout this this sort of forty minutes or or so. But any any sort of final pearls of of wisdom of of anything that we sort of haven't covered that you'd you'd sort of offer to to anybody say in a similar position to yourself three or four years ago and, and thinking thinking about sort of setting up the business or even individuals who are who are sort of just stepping into that accidental admin-esque kind of kind of role and thinking about where where they can go next and how they can get get to the point that you're at now yeah so a general piece of advice is try not to limit yourself I know it's easier said than done but I think a lot of us they can feel an imposter syndrome or they can just 
look at the the breadth of Salesforce and the complexity of the tool and the ecosystem, and they can think, wow, I'm so out of my depth, or they can focus on all the things that they don't know because, you know, they're, they're thoughtful people. They want to do a good job. They want to be great. Um, and that, that can be good because it motivates you to learn more and hone your skills, but it can also hold you back because you can get in that mindset of, I don't know how to do this yet, or my skills aren't at this you know, self-imposed level where I want them to be, or I'm not going to apply to speak at Dreamforce, or I'm not going to start the business that I know I really want to. Um, so general applicable piece of advice is try to identify if you're doing that yourself. And if so, at a minimum, be cognizant of it. Catch yourself when you're doing it and question whether there is a more positive story you could be telling yourself um, because this uh, desire for high standards, this desire for perfection, it only serves you so far. You also need to balance it out with an attitude of I'm great and I can do what I want to do. You know, why, why hold myself back? Um, and then anything else? I, I think, um, don't ever be afraid to reach out to people that you think could be helpful to you or um, you would love to connect with. It's, it's a little bit cheesy, but the worst they can say generally is no. Um, and in my experience, the majority of people are going to, at a minimum, see your outreach positively. If you reach out to somebody, let's say on LinkedIn, and you say, I, I really admire your work, I really admire what you've been doing. Any advice that you can give? Could I take you know, 15 minutes of your time? Some people are going to say I'm too busy, but I'm flattered and they'll remember you positively. And other people are going to say, yeah, you know, I really like that you reached out. Let's connect. Let's have a conversation. And you never know where those conversations are going to go. Um, and, and that's something that you can do regardless of where you're at currently in life, whether you're running a business, whether you're an independent contractor, whether you're an employee, whether you're looking to change careers, um, you can't really go wrong with trying to make connections with other people as long as you're doing it in a respectful way, which I, I think most people do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cue your and, inbox now being inundated with people asking for yeah. So actually, you just <laughs> teed me up for the final thing I was going to say. So thank you for that. I think that the last thing is um, try and pay it forward. Um, that's something that I try and do when people reach out to me and they want to have a you know a conversation or um, get feedback on something they're considering or, or ask for advice. I think back to all of the amazing advice I've been given from various people and how much I appreciated it and how much it made a difference. And I want to be part of that and keep the positive momentum going. So I would say if you're in a position to do so, um, see if you can pay it forward to other people, see if there's anything positive you can put back in, into the, the ecosystem, into the world, because um, it builds that positive momentum.
Amazing. I think that's a, an excellent note for us to, to end on. Thanks very much for being the, the debut guest on, on Blazing a Trail, Catherine. I think you've given some, some, some great advice to, um, to potential um, business owners or, or even people just generally looking at, at sort of starting their Salesforce career and some of the routes they can, they can go down. So thanks again for, for your time. Thanks to everyone who's, who's tuning in and, and listening. Um, and we'll be back again soon with our next episode of the, the Blazing a Trail podcast. We'll be right